Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. It's so glad that you're joining me today. We are finishing up the book of Hosea today, and we've got two more chapters to cover. And I want you to know, as we're looking at this last section of the book of Hosea, we want to look at the subject of, will God take me back? Will he take me back? Yes, he will take you back. But I want you to know that there's often a process that we go through before we're willing to be taken back by God, before we're willing to come under His terms. And too many times, uh, we think we can negotiate, well, this is what I'll do, you know, if God heals my sister, I'll come back to Him. Uh, If He doesn't, I'm not coming back to Him. Like we're in the driver's seat. I want you to know that God has a certain way to deal with us. You know, when I was doing my rounds recently at St. Bride's Correctional Center, uh, once a week I go into uh, an area called the Restrictive Housing Unit. And uh, it's an area where inmates are put, uh, they're in an individual cell and they're put there, they're being transferred somewhere else and and, uh, sometimes they're put in there as they get into trouble or whatever. And so I'm making my rounds and um, I had one guy said, hey, chaplain, can I have a word with you? And so I stopped and I spoke with him and the first words were out of his mouth were these words. I've dishonored my family, and now they have nothing to do with me. Can you help me? Well, how would you respond to that kind of question? Well, this is what I said to him. I said, now, let me ask you a question. Are you saved? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? He said, yes, he is. I said, now, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, and you have asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins. You are set free. So I prayed with this man and hopefully encouraged this man to realize that when God forgives us, we are set free. No more condemnation. The Bible is very clear. We are no longer under the condemnation of Christ. Who can bring anything against God's elect, right? Paul gives a whole list of things in the book of Romans of things that cannot separate us from God. As we look at the nation of Israel, they find themselves not only being disgraced, not only forgetting about the history of how God has worked with them in the past, but now in chapter number 12, they are feeling dishonored. Israel is now so dishonored that they are trusting the Assyrians, their nemesis, instead of trusting God. They're trusting in treaties with the Assyrians, but doubting God. Well, let's pick it up in chapter 12, verse number one. Ephraim feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day, and he multiplies lies and violence. Now, that's a phrase in there that that I didn't really know what it meant. He pursues the east wind all day. Ephraim is feeding on the wind. What does that mean? It means that they were flattering themselves in vain. They had these delusions of hope, of receiving support from an alliance with the Assyrians. It's a proverbial expression to signify their labor was in vain. They're pursuing measures that will not benefit them but will bring damage to them. Ephraim is feeding the wind. He is pursuing the east wind. You know, there's something about being dishonored. When you are feeling the effects of being 
dishonored. You pursue the wrong avenues. Kind of reminds me of one of my children as they were going through those turbulent teenage years. And one of my sons said to me, he says, Dad, I don't need you and mom. I got it all figured out. And he decided that he was going to live on his own. He was going to take care of himself. And and uh, he says, Dad, I've got friends. How are they going to help me? I don't need you and mom anymore. And he went off, unfortunately, and made a disaster of his life. All because he dishonored his parents. All because he dishonored the love and the guidance and the support that he needed. Well, that's where Israel is. In chapter 12, Israel is trusting their quote-unquote friends, the Assyrians, but they're doubting God. Look what it says at the end of verse number one. He makes a treaty with the Assyrians, and he sends olive oil to Egypt. So they're sending these gifts, right, hoping that it will help to build an alliance, but it's an alliance with their enemies. The Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. And now here, Hosea is using the example of Jacob. Now, you remember the story, right? Jacob and Esau. Esau, they were twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau comes through the birth canal first, but then Jacob grabs on the heel of Esau. In the womb, he was grabbing his brother's heel. And then he says, as a man, he struggled with God. So Jacob not only tried to overcome Esau and steal from Esau that primary position when he was just a baby, didn't get any better as he got older. It says that he struggled with God. Verse number four, he struggled with the angel to overcome him. He wept and he begged for his favor. You remember that Jacob is wrestling all night with the angel, but then he discovers God's favor. He found him in Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name. But you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. So Jacob goes through a time of disgrace. Hosea is using this time of disgrace in saying that Jacob wrestled with an angel all night long and refused to let go of that angel until that angel blessed him. As a result of his desire to be blessed by God, God honored Jacob and says, I'm going to change you, Jacob. In Bethel, we're going to have a conversation. Your name is going to be changed. The Lord God Almighty is going to change you. Your name is no longer going to be supplanter, but your name is going to be Israel. But you must return to God. You must maintain love and justice and wait for your God always. Here, Hosea is crying out to his people and saying, now listen, God wants to take this dishonor out of your life. He wants to have this relationship with you, but you must maintain love and justice. You must wait for your God always. Well, unfortunately, in chapter number 12, it doesn't work. And as we look at chapter number 12, Hosea goes on and says, you know, I sent prophets to warn you with many visions many parables. And verse number 11 says, but the people of Gilgad are worthless 
because of their idol worship. And in Gilgad, too, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars are lined up with the heaps of stone along the edges of the plowed field. And then we see what happens with the illustration of Jacob. They didn't respond to the message of Hosea in chapter 12. Let's see if they get any better in chapter number 13. In chapter number 13, the Lord's anger begins to be kindled. His anger begins to be unleashed toward his own people. And now Israel is feeling disgraced and destroyed. Israel is worshiping idols, offering human sacrifices. Let's pick up the story in verse number one. When Ephraim spoke, the people trembled. He was exalted in Israel, but he became guilty of Baal worship and died. In other words, the wages of their sin was death. Now they sin more and more. They make idols for themselves from silver, cleverly fashioned images, all of them work of craftsmen. It is said of these people, they offer human sacrifices. They kiss calf idols. Therefore, they will be like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears, like chaff swirling from a threshing floor, like smoke escaping through a window. You see, they were being destroyed, and even with the pressure of facing pending destruction, they didn't wake up. As a matter of fact, they sinned more and more and more. It got so bad that they were offering human sacrifices. It says that they even kissed the calf idols that they created. As a result, God was bringing judgment upon his people. As you think about your life, is there an ongoing issue that you can't seem to get past? Maybe you could call it a besetting sin or a stronghold in your life. The nation of Israel, time and time again, throughout the Old Testament, constantly went back to worshiping the calf, worshiping the Baal. When I looked at that phrase, they kissed the calf idols, they offer human sacrifice. My mind went immediately back to the nation of Israel as they're coming out of the land of Egypt. Moses is leading them. They go into the wilderness. Moses and Joshua go up into the Mount Sinai, and and Moses is going to receive the Ten Commandments. He's up there for 40 days, and as he begins to come down from the ascent of the Mount of Sinai, he hears a lot of noise. And Joshua thinks that maybe the people are facing a war. And Moses says, oh, oh, no, 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 that's not the sound of war. That's the sound of a celebration. As they get down into the valley, they discover that their people, in 40 short days, have gone back to worshiping the calf, a sacred idol of the Egyptians. And so Moses confronts Aaron, his brother-in-law, who is going to be the first high priest, and says, now, Aaron, what in the world is happening? You know, one of the ways that you know you're going to be destroyed is that you start to be deceptive when confronted by truth. Moses confronts Aaron and says, now what is going on? And he says, these people gave me all of their gold and all their jewelry and all their bracelets and all their earrings. And 
and we put it into this fire, and out jumped this calf. Now, that is very far from the truth. They created this golden image, and they were worshiping that golden image, and they were doing things, and some commentators believed that they were even at the point of desecrating this idol worship by doing all kinds of illicit sexual things and all other kinds of unacceptable behavior as they're worshiping this golden calf. And so, you know the rest of the story, right? That calf is destroyed, and and Moses takes it and forms it into a powder and, and makes the people of Israel drink it as a judgment upon them. When I look at the human sacrifices that is taking place, I look at something that has got a stronghold on God's people, and God is going to have to destroy them. You know, we all have besetting sins. It's a sin that we keep going back to. I was reading a story of a a person who struggled with gossip, and it seems like they couldn't get past this constant, ongoing struggle with gossip. They would confess it, and it would come back. They would forsake it, and it would come back. It was an ongoing battle. Finally, this particular person memorized Proverbs 15:2. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. You see, if you're going to be changed from something that's got a stronghold on you, you got to fill yourself with Scripture. The last thing that we see in chapter 14 as we wrap up our study of the book of Hosea is we see that God is going to allow the future to be bright for Israel, but they had to repent. You know, repentance brings about blessing. Verses 1 through 4, chapter number 14. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. You know, we could put your name in there. Return, Becky. Return, Tom. Return, George, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. A Syrian cannot save us and we will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. What is Israel doing? Well, first of all, returning. Returning to the Lord their God. Kind of like the prodigal son coming to his senses and saying, How many of my father's hired hand, hired servants, have it better than I do? Let me go back to him. Let me return to him. And as they return to the Lord their God, their sins that were their downfall are forgiven. Now, ironically, as you look at this, it's not just words that is taking place. I mean, Hosea talks about words. Oh, yeah, words are necessary. We use words to say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and receive me graciously. But we also have actions behind our words. The last half of verse number two says, 
that we may offer the fruits of our lips. In other words, they didn't just want to give words of forgiveness. They wanted to, to, to show a fruit of their lips. Now, do you remember when we started this study yesterday? Uh, we looked at chapter number 10, and it talks about the fact that, that Israel had become a vine that was withered. It was a vine loaded at one time with fruit, but now it was a vine that dried up. Now we are looking and seeing that this vine now, that they have been forgiven, now that they are devoted to God, that vine was now going to offer fruit. They realized that the Assyrians could not save them. They had to break off their relationship with the Assyrians. And they had to say, we're no longer going to mount war horses. We're not going to say, we got this thing under control. We're not going to trust the Assyrians. We're going to break off relationship with them. We're not even going to trust ourselves to go to war. We are going to trust God. Now, as I was thinking about this, maybe, just maybe, the reason you cannot eradicate that stronghold in your life is because you've never humbly asked the Lord to forgive you. You haven't graciously received the fruit of your lips, and you're still connected with dysfunctional people that are dragging you down. You know, not all relationships are good relationships. Not all relationships are righteous relationships. Israel had to break it off with the Assyrians. They had to no longer trust themselves. Maybe your issue is not that you're trusting the wrong people, but maybe you're trusting yourself. Maybe you have this besetting sin because you have never confessed it to anybody else. You know, only God can forgive your sins, but James tells us that we should confess our sins one to another, not for the sake of forgiveness, but for the sake of accountability. As we confess our sins to somebody else, we are putting them in a position that they can be accountable to us and we can be accountable to them. Look what else Israel does in chapter number 14, the end of verse number three. We will never again say our gods to what our hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. Here we discover that they are going to eradicate those gods that they have created in their own hands. Now, this is interesting when I think about this. Idols. Whenever you reject God and you say no to God, it's not that you stop worshiping. We still worship. We just worship the wrong thing. The first commandment, thou shalt know the gods before me, is, is an understanding that Moses has and that God has in giving us that commandment. We are wired to worship. We can't help but to worship because we are wired to worship. The issue is not, are we worshiping? The issue is, what are we worshiping? The nation of Israel finally comes to their senses and they said, we are no longer going to worship these idols that we have made in our own hands. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. In other words, they're removing the idols that were their downfall. They're no longer going to make idols in their, with their own hands. Maybe whatever that stronghold is in your life needs to be eradicated from your life. If you're an alcoholic, maybe the best thing for you to do to overcome alcoholism 
is to not touch a drop of alcohol. Don't have it in your house. Don't be a social drinker. Be a total abstainer. If alcohol is your downfall, then you don't want to touch a a drop of liquor. That's how you begin to get victory over your stronghold. Verse number four, I will heal their waywardness, love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. You know, there's a hymn writer that, um, that you probably have never heard of, but she was delivered from anger. Her name, Frances Havergal. She is the author of the hymns, Take My Life and Let It Be, and Like a River Glorious. Well, Frances Havergal had a very quick temper. You know, that kind of temper that would, would just explode, and, and afterwards she would be mortified and confess it to the Lord, but then she would lose her temper again and again. Uh, maybe you can relate. Uh, one day after a particularly bad explosion, she threw herself down by her bed, and she wept. She prayed, Lord, must it always be so? Will I always have this temper to keep me humble before you? While she was on her knees, the Lord injected a verse of Scripture into her mind. The Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will see no more forever. Now, that is an interesting phrase that comes out of the Old Testament. It comes out of the book of Exodus, as a matter of fact. Just in case you're not familiar with that phrase, the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will see no more forever, is a promise that God gave to Moses. Do you remember when Moses was leading the people out of, out of Egyptian bondage? They're cutting across into the wilderness, and all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a change of mind. Instead of allowing the people to go free, the Israelites to go free, he says to his officials, go get, go get the Israelites. So he sends his army after them. And so here Moses finds himself in a major dilemma. I mean, they're just coming out of Egyptian bondage. The Red Sea is before them. The Egyptian army is behind them. There is nowhere for them to run, nowhere for them to hide. As a matter of fact, the people of Israel start to complain to Moses. and said, now listen, Moses, uh, were there no graves in Egypt? Uh, we could have died in Egypt. At least we'd have a decent burial there. You brought us out here in the wilderness. There's no graves out here. Moses, have you lost your minds? The people begin to turn on Moses out of fear. Uh, they're fearful of what lies ahead and what lies behind them. But you know the story. God is going to bring about deliverance, right? God parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground. And then the Egyptians are drowned because they, they go into that, uh, uh, into that river, into that sea, the Red Sea, and, and they get stuck, and then the sea falls on top of them. Well, when they got to the other side, God says, you know what? The Egyptians, you will see no more forever. God spoke these words to Moses. Now, Havagal related that verse to her temper. In the way that she related it, she saw that God could take her temper away. So she asked, Lord, could it be forever? It seemed to her that the words came back from the Lord. Yes, no more 
forever. Her sister said that from that day forward, Frances Havergal never again lost her temper. She believed God and God did a miracle. Now listen, God will do the same for you. Will he take you back? Always. He takes you back on his terms, not your terms, but he will take you back, I promise you. Well, thank you for joining me as we've gone through the book of Hosea. In the closing moments, let me just remind you of an opportunity. If you'd like to be involved in teaching young people, I'm talking about children six months old to K-5. If you have a desire to be involved in teaching them, we have some positions open at Hickory Ridge Academy. We have a before and after care. If that uh, is more fit, uh, suits your time schedule in the afternoons, we're always looking for good people to work with our kids. We love kids. We built a building called The Ark, which stands for Always Reaching Kids. We believe that God has set on a mission for us to reach young people with the gospel, and we need some help. Uh, we need some people who love the Lord, who love kids. If you're interested in this position, uh, give me a call. Shoot me a text at 252-267-2365. I'll put you in contact with the right people. Always hiring good people. So 252-267-2365. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557. Or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.